We come this morning opening a new sermon series in what is the church. There should be a picture pop up um, that shows us of, there we go, thank you, uh, the next eight weeks of what we're going to look at as we consider what is the church. And this morning we're going to open up the first of these. Uh, we find in Ephesians 2.19 uh, the words we will focus on. And I felt that Ephesians 4 really helped explain uh, some of the things that we are asked to be as the church that we find there in Ephesians 2. The word church brings up all kinds of images and ideas to our minds. For some they will be positive, for others they will be negative. And I think in this last year of no church, of internet church, of restricted church, of limited church, I think this series is important for us because we're now provided with a great opportunity to take a fresh look at some of the most basic principles of church. And these are some of the things we're going to look at. And I guess whatever our starting point this morning and whatever our view of church, I pray that this series uh, will bring us to the, the, the reality that the church is as vitally relevant, crucial and important as it has ever been. So what is the church? The word that we find church from is the word ecclesia. The study of the church is ecclesiology. And we find the word 114 times in the New Testament. We hear a lot about church, and if we had time, I'd love to read all 114 references to us, but we might have been here a while. But 114 times in 111 different places in the New Testament tells us that the church is important, that the church is worth knowing about. And the vast majority of the New Testament is spending time telling us firstly about Jesus, but then also who the church is and what the church should look like. And the primary meaning of the word means assembly. It means to gather. But it also means to be called out. And there's two senses to that. We're called out of darkness and we're called into light. The light of Jesus in whom our salvation has been given to us. But it's also meant in a physical sense. That we are called out of our homes. We are called out of our individuality. And we are called to assemble. It means both the local and the universal church. All Christians throughout this world are members of the universal church. And we belong to individual congregations. It helps that there is so much written for us in the New Testament. Because there is lots to study and there is not to learn. If the church was not important... Paul wouldn't have given it so much time. It's important that as we open this series, we establish a couple of very basic truths. Firstly, that that the church is the bride of Christ. It is his body, it is his, it is his own, it is for his glory, it is created for him. No man has the authority to speak as its head. And next week, Bill Slack will come and will open who is in charge of the church. So this morning, I want to look at the horizontal of us as the gathering. And the next week, Bill's going to look at the vertical as we look up in our relationship with God. So to answer our question this morning, who or what is the church? I want to quote a great gift to the church, J.I. Parker, who says this. It will appear on the screen. The church is the fellowship of all Christians that there are. And it is the family of God. 
A beautiful truth that is affirmed throughout the New Testament. Uh, affirmed in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are members of the household of God. You are the family of God. And Paul then, especially here in Ephesians 4, says, I'm going to equip you to be and to act like that family. Because we are not strangers, but we are citizens. We are members of one household. And in 1 John 3, we are called the children of God. As Stephen quoted in 2 Corinthians, we are children of God. These are earth-shattering words. That no longer is it just the Jews, the Gentiles that were once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel have now been welcomed in. Because there is a level playing field for all of us. Jesus in fulfilling that covenant welcomes all those who have faith in him. And in the beautiful reality for all of us this morning is that whoever we are, whatever our race, our age, our social standing, you are welcomed into the global family of God by nothing other than your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the universal church consists of everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus. And what that means is that every Christian on this planet is your brother and sister. And what that means is that every person in this room this morning with the faith in the Lord Jesus is your brother and sister. There are many images we could look at. There are many images presented to us in explaining the church. We have in Ephesians 2 the image of the building of Christ as the cornerstone, the foundations as well. We have the images of the holy temple that we are being built into. We could really go through a whole sermon series on images of the church. But I want to focus on what I believe is the most relevant to us that we find here. We are the family of God. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to unpack a little bit um, that, that we find in Ephesians 4 of what should mark God's family. And I start by stating the obvious. No family is perfect. I don't know who said it, but there's the old reminder, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you will ruin it. And it's true. If there is a perfect church, don't join it because we wouldn't be good enough to stand up to the expectation of what goes on in that church. Because every congregation is made up of sinful people. No congregation ever has or ever will be perfect. All we have to do is look at the things that Paul said to some of his churches. To Corinth there is an example of church battling division and immorality and idolatry, theological confusions. And they had one of the most faithful teachers there has ever been. So we don't come with some illusion that we can become the perfect church. But I want to take a few of Paul's examples and the emphasis that he gives in Ephesians 4. And set them as the benchmark for us as God's family. And as I was reading Ephesians this week, I was stopped by the words of Ephesians 1 verse 15. And he says this, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. And here's what blew me away about that. That the church in Ephesus, despite all its shortcomings, was a church that was known for its faith. And it was a church known 
for its love for one another. Are we, as Hamilton Baptist Church, are we known for our faith in the Lord Jesus? Are we known for our love of all of God's people? That's a church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that is known for its faith and is known for its love for each other. We know that in a family there are a multitude of relationships. And the primary relationships as a child in there is we have our relationships to our parents and our relationship to our siblings. Our relationship with God and our relationship with those around us. And our relationship with each other as the church will be shaped by our relationship with God. So let's have a little look. We'll look at uh, a couple of verses. But I want to start in Ephesians 4 verses 2 and 3. Some things that are marking the church in Ephesus. In in verses 2 and 3 read, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There's an expectation here that the family of God will be humble. That the family of God will be gentle. That the family of God will be patient. And that the family of God will bear with one another. I don't think we need to go too much into gentleness and patience as we've covered it in our Fruit of the Spirit series in recent weeks. So what does it mean to bear with one another? What does it mean for us to bear with one another in our weaknesses? To bear with one another, we must first remind ourselves that I am not the centre of the universe. Hamilton Baptist Church does not evolve around me or anybody else. The global church does not revolve around me. It revolves around Jesus. And it's all of us being aware and thoughtful this morning that everybody that is here comes with their own burdens. That all of us come with our own baggage and our own internal conflicts. And it is far easier for me to dwell and think of my own stresses. To think that everybody else should cater for me. That other people shouldn't add to my problems. It is so much easier to be a consumer than a servant. But what sort of a view of a family is that? To bear with one another means that we look out for one another. Looking out for the family, bearing with the family is the responsibility of all of us. We're a big congregation. We are a big local family and it is wonderful to belong to such a big family. But it is important, especially in a family of this size, That each one of us shares each other's burdens. That each one of us bears with one another. What more can I do to support somebody in the family? What more can I do to help draw someone closer to Jesus? It's easy. It's easy for us to view Christian care, that love and concern, as somebody else's responsibility. But that responsibility belongs to each one of us. 
It's not very difficult to bear with people that we like. It's not very difficult to be kind to people that are kind to us. It doesn't take much effort to smile back at somebody that smiles at you. But it is a completely different ball game to bear with somebody who has hurt you, who is unkind to you, who you just find irritating. Or who maybe somehow gets in the way of what I want and my agenda. But to bear with one another in love takes more than that and demands better than that. We have to be eager to maintain unity. Not a false unity that is created by us, but it is a unity that is created by God and is maintained by us. Unity grows as we grow in our affection and our love for one another and in our work together. Because to love one another is hard and to love one another takes work. And unity is the opposite of pride and self-interest. And unity is fully focused on Jesus. We don't seek unity in my opinions or in the opinion, opinions of any elders or deacons or ministry leaders or people that we like. But what, rather we seek unity in the will of God that we know by submitting to the word of God. And unity is a lot like us. It grows and it is strengthened. When it is stretched and it is pressured and sometimes even threatened. But it is important because unity glorifies God. The first mark that we are called to is humility and gentleness with patience. Bearing with one another so that we might maintain unity. Second and more briefly in Ephesians 4 but verse 15. Rather speaking truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Truth is important. We are a community that is built on the, the best and the greatest objective truth that there is. That the Lord Jesus died and the Lord Jesus is risen. Truth is important and there is a way to speak it. So that we might grow up. In every way into him who is the head. Into Christ. We are to grow up. Not I. Not you. But we. Because we are a family. The task of growing isn't given to you on your own. But it is given to us. As the family of God. I'm sure one of the things we've learned in the last year is that Christians are not meant to go solo. We are not designed to be consumers, but we are designed to be people in community and fellowship and relationship with one another. And you know, you don't need to have gone much past first year biology or have ever owned a potted plant, for me, mostly unsuccessfully. But there are good and there are bad conditions for which a plant grows and flourishes. And we want to be that church that provides that opportunity for each of us. The right conditions for us to grow up in Christ. And as we move further in verses 31 and 32. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness matters. In fact, forgiveness is the bedrock of relationships. Because without forgiveness in this world that there often feels like there is such a lack of, life would become unbearable. There are two options for us. There are two lists here. There is, a, there is the way of bitterness and of wrath and of anger and of clamour and of slander and of malice. And there is the way of kindness, of tender-heartedness, of compassion, f- uh, forgiving one another. Do you know that first list is often the way we react, or at least we want to react, when somebody hurts us. But if we let that hurt consume us, we know that it creates this constant resentment. It continues this rage that can turn into destructive behaviour and destructive speech. And these things can consume us. And if they consume us, they begin to destroy our relationships. How many times have congregations in our nations been in our nation, been destroyed because of the lack of forgiveness. Are you experiencing any of the things Paul describes here? Is there a bitterness that is poisoning your soul? Is there a rage and an anger that wells up in you because of what somebody else has done to you? Do you speak slanderously of somebody? Lie of them, deliberately put them down? Is there a spirit in us that seeks revenge? Because we are being told right here that this is the opposite of what is expected of us. They are opposed to what it takes to be the family of God. Are we marked by our kindness? By our tender heartedness? By our forgiveness forgiveness is what it means to be the people of God because he first forgave us in Christ you are a new creation you have new life and that life involves the constant going back to Jesus so that we can be renewed time and time again You know, God is kind to us. God is kind to us because he is strong. Kindness is an attitude because we have something to give and we deliberately choose to give it. Why should we be kind? Because we have so much to give. Through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we have life, we have salvation, we have freedom. The riches of God's grace are there in abundance for all of us. Whilst we might feel weak, we are strong in Christ. And this enables us to be kind to one another. That gives us the ability to forgive one another. Our world would see forgiveness as a display of weakness. But the strongest man who has ever walked this earth took himself to the greatest point of weakness to display kindness and strength to you 
and to I. Let us be tender-hearted. He's saying that believing in Christ can and should make a difference to our feelings. What is the church? The church is family. And the wonderful thing is that if you come into this place this morning broken, hurting, weary, or struggling, downtrodden, you are welcome. You are welcomed because you are welcomed by the Saviour who promises you refuge and strength. You are promised a Saviour who will lift your burdens and whose yoke is light. You are promised salvation. And he is the only one who is able to offer those things. And if I may just for a moment turn us to Romans 12. And to words that I have found. Again instructions to God's people to the church. What should we be? We are a family. What should mark us? These words of Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Paul's talking about God's righteousness in everyday life. What does it look like for us to be a Christian in everything that we do? And you know, this, this ruins this false notion for us that we can tolerate and love somebody, but we can like not like them. That we can just kind of tolerate people. It's all right to love people that you don't like, but I don't need to like them. But that isn't the kind of love that is the family of God we are called to. Brotherly affection is what it says. It is an affection that comes from deep bonds. Of course we argue. Of course we can get angry. Anyone who grew up with siblings, not even siblings, if you grew up around other children, you know how infuriating other children can be. But we are called to show brotherly affection. That means that if a member of that family is ill or if a member of that family dies, there are tears from the family because the affection and the bond that is there is real. This is what we are supposed to have for one another in the church. I read that and my gut reaction sometimes is I can't do that. Maybe that's your reaction this morning. There's just too many weirdos. There's too many strange people. There's too many people I just don't like. But I would say to you, since when were the commands of God supposed to be doable in your own strength? We are to outdo one another in showing honour. Honour is different from affection. You can honour somebody that you have no affection for. But Paul doesn't want you to choose between the two. He wants you to do both. He wants you to honour people eh, with your actions and with your words. Because they are worthy of your service. And you know what? They might not be worthy of it. But do it anyway. Because to honour somebody means to treat them better than they deserve. 
Do you see, we could stand for hours and hours and hours and go through the expectations that are given to us in Scripture of us as a family. And really where we're going here is the bar is pretty high. The the lists that go on and on of behaviours and attitudes that we are called to are not just asked of us, but they are expected of us. And they are to be gifts to the rest of the family. Everyone has their own trials. Everyone has their own struggles. And in the family we find comfort because we point each other to Jesus. Too many churches from the very beginning of the church's existence have been torn apart and pulled away from the message of of the gospel and have lost all credibility because they've lost sight of the expected characteristics of the family. So my challenge to each one of us this morning is let us be an example to an unloving world of what it looks like to love. Let us set the bar high. We do not live for ourselves because to that old self we have died. But now we live for Jesus. God's family is to be an example to a broken and a hurting world. Of what it looks like to love and forgive and to bear with one another. And finally, how can I join God's family? We read there in Ephesians 2.20, Christ himself being the cornerstone. In a building, is the cornerstone is the most important thing. So here in God's family is Christ the most important part. He is the head of this family. He is the most important part of this building how can I join that family well it's really very simple if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus you will be saved we are a group of people that believe that our sinfulness has driven us away from God and that we need rescued and saved from sin and from death we believe that none of us are good enough for God and we believe that only God has the ability to save us And in his infinite grace and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place. To take the punishment that we deserve. Jesus took the burden upon his shoulders so that you might be saved. And that means that we can come to the cross for forgiveness. That we can repent before him and believe that he is the resurrection and the life. We were far from him, but now we are his family because of the work of Jesus. We'll just put up that last slide, please, that will just remind us of some of these verses we have looked at. These are some of the marks of God's family, of his church, of us. God, we are so thankful for the sacrifice of your son. We are so thankful that we are no longer aliens and foreigners, but we have been welcomed in. So undeserved, but such an example of your grace and your mercy to each one of us. And God, we thank you that you did not give us this journey as believers to go on our own. But you gave us a global family made up of so many local congregations. 
to love and to support and to uphold one another. God, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you that you are ever present. Amen.